We are FBC Summit, leading everyday people to love Jesus and make Him known. Thank you so much for joining us today. Here's our pastor, Dr. Larry LeBlanc. Together, could we say that phrase, Jesus saves. Let's say it together. Jesus saves. Now, I want you to remember that phrase, those two words, over the course of the next few minutes that we have together, I want that phrase to go over and over and over again in your mind. If you need to take a note of that, if you need to write it in bold. But all throughout our time together this morning, and I hope that it would resonate in your mind, in your heart, in your soul, that Jesus saves. Now that we are sure of that, would you take your Bibles and turn with me to first, Second Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 6 through 10. As we continue our journey together, our great and glorious hope today, we're going to be specifically looking at destinies and how important it truly is that Jesus saves. And we'll be together again this morning in Second Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 6 through 10. As you know, we are uh, approaching, we are in the fall, and, not, and the fall brings about Halloween and all the celebrations that go with it, from trick-or-treating to fall festivals, even today at our church. You know that we'll be celebrating a fall festival together this afternoon, and we'll have a great time, and there will be kids dressed up, and there will be booths, and there will be candy, and there will be games, and it's part of what comes with it. And so some of the time when this time of year rolls around, we begin to see costumes, costumes of all natures, costumes of all varieties, and it seems there is an endless supply of those, not just for children, but even for adults. And you're not going to make it through a Halloween season without seeing some strange costumes. Uh, that's part of what comes with it. And one of the com costumes that you commonly see, it seems every year, is someone that is going to be dressed up like some type of devil. They're going to have a pitchfork in their hand. They're going to have a tail. They're going to have horns on their head. Some of those are almost cartoonish-like versions when you see them. And others, you will see people in the most ghoulish, freakish outfits, most realistic outfits that, that you could imagine. And Part of what comes with that is this common notion in culture about Satan and certainly about hell. It almost seems like that when that subject comes up in the culture in which we live, that it's become a running joke among people. In fact, you'll even hear people talk about it and they'll say things like this, well, most of my friends are going to be there, so I might as well go. They'll describe hell sometimes like it is a continuous party that just goes on and on and on. People will say things like, if they don't have such and such in heaven, then I just might as well go to hell. And in the midst of it, I think all of you should have already had the realization that in the culture in which we live, we need to be sure that we pronounce that not only is hell real, but hell is no joke. Hell is no laughing matter. And one of the reasons that we sing so gloriously and loudly and proudly that Jesus, what? Saves. Is because there is a reality of hell. 
And we know that there is an escape from hell and that even though the wrath of God is real and the wrath of God will be eternally on those who don't know Christ and have not confessed Him as Lord and Savior, we are so thankful today because we know not just what we are saved to, but amen, church, we know what we've been saved from. And so today, we have opened up to a passage in which we are going to look at the inescapable wrath of God, the inescapable judgment of God, the reality of a place called hell. And I would ask you to pray for me, and I would ask you to pray for yourselves. Because anytime we delve into this subject matter, if one can do it without being overwhelmed, then you haven't understood the passage. If you can do it without being emotionally torn, then you haven't truly grasped hold of what the author and what God is trying to show us. You'll remember last week as we looked at verse 5 that we really unpacked the evidence that God's judgment is right and that the prayer that we would be counted worthy to be people of the kingdom of God. Well, God continues to unpack that through Paul in the next few verses to explain this theme of God's right judgment or God's righteous judgment. And so as we unpack this together today, I want to go ahead and give a disclaimer, and that is this. There will be some parts of this message that are hard to hear. There are some parts of this scripture that are hard to read but they are absolutely necessary because today we are going to understand the eternal destinies, both of those that know Jesus and can exclaim, Jesus is my Savior from those who have never accepted the gospel and the eternity that awaits. My prayer for us today is that if you don't know Christ, that today you will see your desperate need for a Savior who saves. My prayer for you today is for those of you that are saved, that maybe in humble gratitude you would hit your knees and you would thank God because you would recognize what you're saved from. And my prayer for the redeemed of the Lord is that we see, as we see the reality of a place called hell and God's eternal judgment, that it would motivate us like never before to recognize that not only do we have a glorious hope, but we need to share that glorious hope. Would you stand with me? 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. I'll begin reading in verse 6. God is just. He will pay back trouble to those who trouble you and give relief to you who are troubled and to us as well. This will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing fire with His powerful angels. He will punish those who do not know God and who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the majesty of His power on the day He comes to be glorified in His holy people and to be marveled at among all those who have believed. This includes you because you believed our testimony to you. Lord, teach us today that your return will bring about two distinct eternal realities, heaven or hell. Let us run to you and run from the judgment that awaits. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated this morning. I don't know that you're going to see on the screen over the course of our times together a more simple outline than the one that you are going to see this morning. 
You see the big idea that Christ's return will bring about two distinct eternal realities, heaven or hell. So we're going to explore those two distinct eternal realities and we're going to explore them directly from the text. So the, the first point that we see, number one, is that God's judgment will place the lost in hell forever and ever. That God's judgment will place the lost in hell forever and ever and ever. Let's look at our text together. God is reassuring the Thessalonians, first of all, that if people have persecuted you, if they don't come to know the Lord Christ and repent of that, that God is going to pay them back. How often in your life do you want revenge? How often in your life do you want to get somebody back? How many of you in here have been hurt before? How many of you in here have people done things to you that were not right and not fair and not just? And because we deal with the flesh, we want to be the people, right, who enact that judgment, who enact that vengeance. I want to get someone back. I want my pound of flesh. I want to realize and see the justice done to people. So often it is, we look and it seems like people get away with murder. They get away with all types of heinous acts and sin and treating people in untold ways. And we find ourselves sometimes asking the excellent question, where's the justice? And sometimes in our own lives, we want to be the people who enact the justice, right? We want to get them back. But God makes it very clear. He makes it clear in the Old Testament and the New Testament. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. Some of you need to hear before we go any further. God will enact vengeance. People will pay. Suffering is coming. And to those of you that love Jesus, and those of you that have suffered for loving Jesus, and those of you that have been mistreated, I don't know, and I will not promise you whether or not the people in your life that have done you that way are going to get theirs in this life. I have no idea. But what I do know is that God is faithful and that he is just and that you need to trust him that he can take care of people better both in this life and eternally than you'll ever be able to take care of them. What Paul is telling these, this church at Thessalonica is, I know you're troubled and it seems like they keep doing better and as far as the world is concerned, you keep doing worse. But listen to me, God sees, God knows, he's taken account and because of that you can count on the fact that justice will be served. But he says it's not only going to be on those who persecute the church, but look at verse 8. Verse 8 says that he's also going to punish those who do not know God and those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Those are synonyms. Not knowing God and not obeying the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because to know God, you have to obey the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so he tells them there are two types of punishment that he's talking about. The punishment that is going to come for the temporal actions of people and mistreating the people of God, but also the actions that are going to come for those that do not honor God, for those that do not obey God, for those that do not follow the gospel. And yet we live in a day where the majority of people reject the doctrine of hell. If you were to do a man on the street interview, do you believe in heaven? Oh yeah, everybody believes in heaven. They also all believe that they're going there. Do you believe in hell? Well, I, I don't know about that. Most people are either universalists, meaning that they believe everybody's going to get to heaven somehow, or they're annihilationists. In other words, they believe that when you die, you just cease to exist, that, the, that you, your body 
decays and as your body decays there is no soul to go any further so either according to the majority of people everyone's going to make it to heaven or the other side everybody's just going to cease to exist at the moment they take their last breath and I love what Tozer called this A.W. Tozer said the reason that people have denied the doctrine of hell is because denying the doctrine of hell has become an opiate to the masses Now, it's interesting that he would use that phrase decades ago because he wouldn't have had any idea that we are in an opioid crisis, an opioid epidemic right now. We are fighting a war in this country against fentanyl deaths and prescription drugs and all of the things that go with that. And when we talk about those drugs, when we talk about opioids, when we talk about heroin and all those different types of drugs, the reason that they become so addictive is it it either activates the pleasure centers of the brain or it numbs the places that feel pain. And so people often find themselves addicted to these opioids. And what Tozer says is that you can actually believe things that will try to act to, as an opioid to your soul. Now, why would not believing in hell be an opioid to the soul of a human being? Why? If I deny God, if I deny the afterlife, if I deny wrath, if I deny judgment, if I deny hell, if I deny all of that, then what does that now allow me to do? It allows me to become my own God. It allows me to have the pleasure principle become number one in my life. It allows me to let the Nike slogan dominate all parts of me. Just do it. It allows me to have control of my own life and believe that I'm not accountable to anyone. So it absolutely, I agree with Tozer, it is an opioid for millions of people because I can deny it. And by denying it, I can now believe that I can live however I want to live. And there are many people who are on what Jesus calls the broad road that leads to destruction because there is an opioid epidemic not just in the pills that are being sold in our country but there is an opioid epidemic in the belief structure of people as they have tried to numb themselves to the reality that you only have so many heartbeats in your chest that you only have so many breaths that will enter your lungs and that after that there is an eternal destiny that awaits you and friends that eternal destiny is either heaven or hell. And what for a lot of people, that the hard part of this message is that there will be more people in hell than there are in heaven. There will be more people in hell than there are in heaven. Broad is the road that leads to destruction, but narrow is the way that leads to eternal life. It's strange that when people seem to not want to talk about the doctrine of hell, In fact, it's odd, even in researching this sermon, how very few evangelical churches today preach and teach on the doctrine of hell. It may be mentioned, but to have a sermon or a teaching on the wrath of God or hell is supremely avoid in our day, especially in what's become the seeker-sensitive movement. Now, why would a church not want to preach on hell? Why, why would you not want to bring that up? Here's why. Because if I'm under the impression that the main goal of First Baptist Summit or the pulpit ministry of this church is not to offend your ears, then I want to avoid any sermon that might be of offense. 
and to look at you and look at me, to look at you and tell you, if you do not know Christ, if you have not repented of your sins, if you've not given your life to Jesus and become born again, if you're not redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, if Jesus saves is not the exclamation point over your life and over your soul, then you're going to hell. Then you might be offended. And oh friends, I want to tell you, I love you enough to offend you. I love you enough to offend you. God loves you enough to offend you. The Bible loves you enough to offend you. And Jesus absolutely was clear. Just the parables in Matthew. Think about the parables that Jesus gave in Matthew about the reality of hell. He talked about the wheat and the tares, that they would be separated. He talked about the net where the fish would be separated. He talked about the wise and the foolish virgins, those that would be separated. He talked about the sheep and the goats that would be separated. Over and over again, he made it very clear that there are two distinct realities, two distinct destinies for people. And that people will be called before him and demanded to account for violating his law, rejecting Christ and the gospel, and will be justly condemned for their rejection. So what is the response to this message by and large? The response to this message is that that is unfair. By and large, that is unfair. A loving God should never send people to hell. That is what we hear over and over and over again. That's another opiate belief that has affected not only individual lives, but has affected churches. Hear me out. If there's not a hell, then he's not God. Now that bothers some people a lot to make that statement. But for God to be who he is, to be pure and righteous and holy and loving and gracious, then he can't be holy and righteous and not punish sin. He can't be holy and righteous and allow it into his presence. It's the reason the atonement, the substitutionary sacrifice of Christ, the cross is so important. If we don't preach and teach and understand the doctrine of hell, then we don't understand the cross. Because if God is so loving that everyone would be accepted, then why would God allow his only son to be murdered and killed as a substitute for you and I? No, you can be saved. Everyone who, who calls out on the name of the Lord in repentance and faith can be saved. It's not unfair for me to tell you that you can exit this building, but you have to exit through the doors. That's not unfair. I'm not telling you you can't leave out of this building. I'm telling you the only reason you only way you can go is out of the doors. God is not telling you you cannot go to heaven. He's telling you there's only one way to go to heaven, and that way is Christ. That's not unfair. That's loving. He's given the option. He's given the privilege. He's given the choice to all who would call on the name of the Lord. If he didn't care about right and wrong, he wouldn't be good. So I would just challenge you the next time you are outraged about something to ask yourself this question. If I get outraged about fill in the blank, I get outraged about social issues and problems and abortion and I get outraged about drug epidemics and crime, if I get outraged about the lack of justice, if I get outraged about anything, 
If you have gotten outraged about anything, then can't you simply see that God has a better reason to be outraged than we do? He is perfect and just and holy, and he is against everything that is at odds with what he created things to be like, the sin that is destroyed so very much. Romans 1, 8, 1 18 through 21 tells us that men are without excuse that God has revealed to them through natural revelation, through his invisible qualities, and they are without excuse. Now, that being said, when we look at verse 8 and see that phrase, those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord, it means these are people that have no relationship. They are people that Ephesians 2 and 12 called people that have no hope and are without God in the world. It is the people that the last words they will ever hear will be Matthew 7, 23, depart from me for I never knew you. Now, what's dangerous for many of you that are listening to this message this morning and for anyone else who has ever heard a clear presentation of the gospel is this, that rejecting the gospel intensifies your guilt. Luke 12, 48, to whom much is given, much is required. Now, does that mean that you can go to heaven if you've never heard the gospel? No, the gospel is the only way. But we are told very clearly throughout Scripture that the, there are rewards of, in heaven and that there are degrees of punishment in hell. And the hottest hell is reserved for the people who have heard the gospel of Jesus Christ and rejected it. That's you. That's you. Now that's a tough reality. But I am positive if you are listening today that my hands are clean before the Lord about telling you about the need to repent of your sins and give your life to Christ and believe on the name of the Lord Jesus and believe that He rose from the grave and believe that if you give your life unto Him that you can be saved. You have to do that. If you don't, listen, listen. If you don't, you will go to hell and it won't be God's fault. It will be yours. And the reason it's yours is because the gospel is so clear. It is so clear about what you must do to be saved. Friends, I want you to listen at the words of Hebrews chapter 10, verses, verse 26 through 31. If we deliberately keep on sinning after we have received the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sins is left, but only a fearful expectation of judgment and of raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. Anyone who rejected the law of Moses died without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much more severely do you think a man deserves to be punished who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, who has treated as un an unholy thing the blood of the covenant that sanctified him, and who has insulted the Spirit of grace? For we know him who said, It is mine to avenge, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. Could that be more clear? Could that be more clear. John the Baptist, what was his message? Repent and behold the Lamb of God. The apostles, repent and give your life to Christ. Jesus, repent 
and give your life unto me. There is no ambiguity in the gospel message. You have to turn your life over to Christ or verse 9, you will experience, they will be punished, it says, with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of our Lord. What is this everlasting destruction? This is a punishment that will last forever. This is not annihilation, but experiencing the wrath of God in a place that the New Testament says is a place of darkness, a place of horror, a place of pain, a place of weeping, a place of fire. It is a place that the New Testament calls a bottomless pit. Sometimes when I'm studying, there are images that catch me and I can't move past them. And of all of those images, and, and certainly all of them are horrific, I can't imagine even trying to get my mind around gnashing of teeth and weeping and fire. But the one that overwhelmed me over the past couple of weeks has been the word bottomless pit. I don't know any of you that have ever even tripped. And when you have that feeling that you're falling, whether you catch yourself or whether you hit the ground, that is a horrific feeling, that, that moment between when you recognize you're falling and when you hit the ground. The most disturbing thing about hell is that you are going to be thrown into a pit that has no bottom, which means you fall and you fall and you fall and you fall further away from the grace and mercy that was once offered you. And for all of eternity, you will look up to the rim and wish during that time you'd have grabbed hold of Jesus before you were thrown into the pit. But friends, this is the opportunity. This is the time. Now, now is the time that you've been given the privilege to give your life unto Christ. Matthew 10, 28 says, Do not fear those who kill the body, but who cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Hear me out. This world is not your final destination. This world is not all that there is. Because one day, verse 7 says, watch this. Verse 7 says, This will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing fire with His powerful angels. It's talking about the second coming at the very end of the seven-year tribulation that Jesus is going to come from heaven. We knew that. How did Jesus ascend? In Acts, we read that he ascended visibly from their presence. And we are told in Acts 1 that he is going to return in the same way that he left. And here in Thessalonians, we hear about that, that he is coming at the end of the tribulation, that Jesus is going to come and he's going to come from heaven. His first incarnation, the first time Jesus came, he came in humble circumstances. He came meek and he came lowly. He came as a baby in a manger. He came poor and unnoticed. In the first incarnation, he came and he was on a rescue mission. But in the second incarnation, at the end of the tribulation, when the skies open and Jesus comes back with his angels of glory, he does not come meek and lowly. He does not come anymore on a rescue mission. He comes as the God of war, declaring war on all of those who are unholy and all of those who have not professed his name and all of those who have not trusted him. He declares war on every demon of hell. He declares war on Satan himself. He judges 
ashes and he makes war and his eyes are a blazing fire is what Revelation says. And there will be no doubt among the peoples of earth and there will be no doubt among those that are under the earth and there will be no doubt of those in heaven that the great captain of our salvation when the trump sounds and it is open that no more will people have to look for him in a manger in a stable but the world will know that Jesus has come and all of you who know Christ for all of you who have given your lives to him to all of you who have repented to all of you who have trusted on his substitutionary atonement to all of you who are born again to all of you who are redeemed to all of you who have been set free then oh what a glorious day that will be but to those of you who have not oh be fearful be fearful because the dread of God should be over you because the wrath of God rests on your soul and if the wrath of God rests on your soul then you are at the mouth of a bottomless pit that you are staring over into and friends I don't care what your plans are for today or for tomorrow the plan for eternity for you don't if you don't know Jesus is burning and weeping and gnashing of teeth and separation from a holy God please give your life to Jesus please give your life to Christ Billy Sunday years ago he had a sermon titled payday someday we're all going to experience that payday someday what type of payday will it be you will either be paid with the beautiful riches of the eternal grace of God or you will be paid with the wrath of God one of the stories in the New Testament that stuck out to me even from childhood was a story from Luke chapter 16 and you'll remember it well it's the story of rich man and Lazarus it says that Old Lazarus, he didn't have anything. Nothing in this life. Poor his whole life. He was a beggar. And there was a rich man that walked by Lazarus every day of his life. Both of them came to die. And the Bible tells us that the rich man got all of his good things during this life. But that Lazarus was rewarded. And Lazarus went to heaven. And the Bible says in this story that the rich man would look up and he could see Lazarus by Abraham's bosom. And he would call out to him and he would say, Lazarus, Lazarus, would you just dip your finger in the water and touch my tongue because I am tormented in this fire. And yet Jesus says in Luke 16 that there is a great chasm that has been fixed and that there is no way for him to go to you or for you to go to him. Friends, there is an eternity that has already been set. And you need to know that one day you are going to be in a place called heaven and not in the reality of a place called hell. It's interesting that Jesus teaches us to pray and he teaches us to use these words. Thy will be done. In fact, we have a song that we sing over and over. Thy will be done be done Chesterton said this a long long time ago he said hell is God's great compliment to the reality of human freedom hell a compliment if you refuse to say thy will be done to God God will eventually say thy will be done to you and your will is to choose wrath and to choose sin. And friends, I am begging you 
to bow your knee and pray, Thy will be done. And if you will do that, then what we know is that 2 Peter 3.9 tells us that He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. God's judgment will place the lost in hell forever and ever. But you need to know, number two, that God's judgment will place the saved in heaven forever and ever. God's judgment will place the saved in heaven forever and ever. You say, Larry, why'd you give us the bad news first? I'm looking at the clock. You don't have a whole lot of time. In fact, even the big idea, you put heaven first, but then we talked about hell first. Why'd you do that? I'm glad you asked. I am convinced that R.C. Sproul had it right when he wrote the little book, Saved from What? You need to know what you're saved from to know what you're saved to. You're saved from sin. You're saved from temptation. You're saved from trials and hurt. You're saved. But the big question on all of our minds, and time is running low, but you need to know this, the big question on so many people's minds, I think is the wrong question. Because people are asking, how could a loving God send people to hell? My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole, was nailed to a cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, oh my soul. The wonder is not that he sends someone to hell. The wonder is that he allows any of us into his heaven. That's the wonder. That my sin was nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, oh my soul. Why? Because Jesus saves. Didn't I tell you to remember that phrase? Jesus saves. The wonder of it all is that any of you are saved. The wonder of it all is that his blood was thick enough for you. The wonder of it all is that heaven is our promise. The wonder of it all is that redemption and new birth is promised. Friends, let us not marvel that a just God would send people who deserved it to hell. Let us marvel at a God of grace who would send his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him would not perish but have what, church? Everlasting life. The penalty of sin is paid and the wrath of God satisfied by the atoning work of Jesus. And I love that Paul reminded the Thessalonian church of this. Last sentence that we read together. This includes you because you believed our testimony. What was their testimony? Can I summarize it? Jesus saves. <laughs> that was their testimony. And if you have believed that testimony, then this includes you as well, that the glory of God is in you. And friends, you can know that you are redeemed. If that's your testimony, then you ought to erupt in praise at what you've been saved from. If that's not your testimony, then you should run, run, run to the gospel. You should run to Jesus. You should hit your knees in repentance. You should call out to a holy God because hell is your destiny, but hell does not have to be not one moment longer. Run to Jesus. Run to Jesus. Jesus saves. Would you stand with me? Thanks for listening to FBC Summit. 
We are leading everyday people to love Jesus and make Him known. For more information, visit our website, fbcsummit.org.